section 46 of principles of geology this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by dion gines salt lake city utah principles of geology by charles lyle chapter 19 part 4 isle of thanet the isle of thanet was in the time of the romans separated from the rest of kent by a navigable channel through which the roman fleets sailed on their way to and from london Bede describes this small estuary as being in the beginning of the eighth century three furlongs in breadth and it is supposed that it began to grow shallow about the period of the norman conquest it was so far silted up in the year fourteen eighty five that an act was then obtained to build a bridge across it and it has since become marshland with small streams running through it on the coast bedlam farm belonging to the hospital of that name lost eight acres in the twenty years preceding eighteen thirty the land being composed of chalk from forty to fifty feet above the level of the sea it has been computed that the average waste of the cliff between the north foreland and the reculvers a distance of about eleven miles is not less than two feet per annum the chalk cliffs on the south of thanet between ramsgate and pegwell bay have on an average lost three feet per annum for the last ten years preceding eighteen thirty goodwin sands the goodwin sands lie opposite this part of the kentish coast they are about ten miles in length and are in some parts three and in others seven miles distant from the shore and for a certain space are laid bare at low water that they are a remnant of land and not a mere accumulation of sea-sand as rennell imagined may be presumed from the fact that when the erection of a lighthouse on this shoal was in contemplation by the trinity board in the year eighteen seventeen it was found by borings that the bank consisted of fifteen feet of sand resting on blue clay and by subsequent borings the subjacent chalk has been reached an obscure tradition has come down to us that the estates of earl goodwin the father of harold who died in the year one thousand fifty three were situated here and some have conjectured that they were overwhelmed by the flood mentioned in the saxon chronicle sub anno one thousand ninety nine the last remains of an island consisting like sheppy of clay may perhaps have been carried away about that time there are other records of waste in the county of kent as at deal and at dover where shakespeare's cliff composed entirely of chalk has suffered greatly and continually diminishes in height the slope of the hill being towards the land there was an immense landslip from this cliff in eighteen ten by which dover was shaken as if by an earthquake 
and a still greater one in seventeen seventy two we may suppose therefore that the view from the top of the precipice in the year sixteen hundred when the tragedy of king lear was written was more fearful and dizzy than it is now the best antiquarian authorities are agreed that dover harbour was formerly an estuary the sea flowing up a valley between the chalk hills the remains found in different excavations confirm the description of the spot given by caesar and antoninus and there is clear historical evidence to prove that at an early period there was no shingle at all at dover straits of dover in proceeding from the northern parts of the german ocean towards the straits of dover the water becomes gradually more shallow so that in the distance of about two hundred leagues we pass from a depth of one hundred twenty to that of fifty-eight thirty-eight eighteen and even less than two fathoms the shallowest part follows a line drawn between romney marsh and boulogne from this point the english channel again deepens progressively as we proceed westward so that the straits of dover may be said to part two seas whether england was formerly united with france has often been a favorite subject of speculation so early as sixteen o five our countryman verstegan in his antiquities of the english nation observed that many preceding writers had maintained this opinion but without supporting it by any weighty reasons he accordingly endeavors himself to confirm it by various arguments the principal of which are first the proximity and identity of the composition of the opposite cliffs and shores of albion and gallia which whether flat and sandy or steep and chalky correspond exactly with each other secondly the occurrence of a submarine ridge called our lady's sand extending from shore to shore at no great depth and which from its composition appears to be the original basis of the isthmus thirdly the identity of the noxious animals in france and england which could neither have swum across nor have been introduced by man thus no one he says would have imported wolves therefore these wicked beasts did of themselves pass over he supposes the ancient isthmus to have been about six english miles in breadth composed entirely of chalk and flint and in some places of no great height above the sea-level the operation of the waves and tides he says would have been more powerful when the straits were narrower and even now they are destroying cliffs composed of similar materials he suggests the possible cooperation of earthquakes and when we consider how many submarine forests skirt the southern and eastern shores of england and that there are raised beaches at many points above the sea-level containing fossil shells of recent species it seems reasonable to suppose that such upward now in progress in sweden and greenland may have greatly assisted the denuding force of the ocean stream folkestone 
at folkestone the sea undermines the chalk and subjacent strata about the year seventeen sixteen there was a remarkable sinking of a tract of land near the sea so that houses became visible from certain points at sea and from particular spots on the sea cliffs from whence they could not be seen previously in the description of this subsidence in the phil tran seventeen sixteen it is said that the land consisted of a solid stony mass chalk resting on wet clay galt so that it slid forwards towards the sea just as a ship is launched on tallowed planks it is also stated that within the memory of persons then living the cliff there had been washed away to the extent of ten rods encroachments of the sea at hythe are also on record but between this point and rye there has been a gain of land within the times of history the rich level tract called romney marsh or dunganess about ten miles in width and five in breadth and formed of silt having received great accession it has been necessary however to protect it from the sea from the earliest periods by embankments the towns of lyd and romney being the only parts of the marsh above the level of the highest tides mr redmond has cited numerous old charts and trustworthy authorities to prove that the average annual increase of the promontory of shingle called dunganess amounted for two centuries previous to eighteen forty four to nearly six yards its progress however has fluctuated during that period for between sixteen eighty nine and seventeen ninety four a term of one hundred five years the rate was as much as eight and one quarter yards per annum it is ascertained that the shingle is derived from the westward whether the pebbles are stopped by the meeting of the tide from the north flowing through the straits of dover with that which comes up the channel from the west as was formerly held or by the check given to the tidal current by the waters of the rother as some maintain is still a disputed question rye situated to the south of romney marsh was once destroyed by the sea but it is now two miles distant from it the neighboring town of winchelsea was destroyed in the reign of edward i the mouth of the rother stopped up and the river diverted into another channel in its old bed an ancient vessel apparently a dutch merchantman was found about the year eighteen twenty four it was built entirely of oak and much blackened large quantities of hazelnuts peat and wood are found in digging in romney marsh south coast of england westward of hastings or of st leonard's the shoreline has been giving way as far as pevensey bay where formerly there existed a haven now entirely blocked up by shingle the degradation has equalled for a series of years seven feet per annum in some places and several martello towers had in consequence before eighteen fifty one been removed by the ordinance 
at the promontory of beachy head a mass of chalk three hundred feet in length and from seventy to eighty in breadth fell in the year eighteen thirteen with a tremendous crash and similar slips have since been frequent about a mile to the west of the town of new haven the remains of an ancient entrenchment are seen on the brow of castle hill this earthwork supposed to be roman was evidently once of considerable extent and of an oval form but the greater part has been cut away by the sea the cliffs which are undermined here are high more than one hundred feet of chalk being covered by tertiary clay and sand from sixty to seventy feet in thickness in a few centuries the last vestiges of the plastic clay formation on the southern borders of the chalk of the south downs on this coast will probably be annihilated and future geologists will learn from historical documents the ancient geographical boundaries of this group of strata in that direction on the opposite side of the estuary of the ouse on the east of new haven harbor a bed of shingle composed of chalk flints derived from the waste of the adjoining cliffs had accumulated at seaford for several centuries in the great storm of november eighteen twenty four this bank was entirely swept away and the town of seaford inundated another great beach of shingle is now forming from fresh materials the whole coast of sussex has been incessantly encroached upon by the sea from time immemorial and although sudden inundations only which overwhelmed fertile or inhabited tracts are noticed in history the records attest an extraordinary amount of loss during a period of no more than eighty years there are notices of about twenty inroads in which tracts of land of from twenty to four hundred acres in extent were overwhelmed at once the value of the tithes being mentioned in the taxatio ecclesiastica in the reign of elizabeth the town of brighton was situated on that tract where the chain pier now extends into the sea in the year sixteen sixty five twenty-two tenements had been destroyed under the cliff at that period there still remained under the cliff one hundred thirteen tenements the whole of which were overwhelmed in seventeen o three and seventeen o five no traces of the ancient town are now perceptible yet there is evidence that the sea has merely resumed its ancient position at the base of the cliffs the site of the whole town having been merely a beach abandoned by the ocean for ages hampshire isle of wight it would be endless to allude to all the localities on the sussex and hampshire coasts where the land has given way but i may point out the relation which the geological structure of the isle of wight bears to its present shape as attesting that the coast owes its outline to the continued action of the sea through the middle of the island runs a high ridge of chalk strata in a vertical position and in a direction east and west 
this chalk forms the projecting promontory of culver cliff on the east and of the needles on the west while sandown bay on the one side and compton bay on the other have been hollowed out of the softer sands and argillaceous strata which are inferior in geological position to the chalk the same phenomena are repeated in the isle of purbeck where the line of vertical chalk forms the projecting promontory of handfest point and swanage bay marks the deep excavation made by the waves in the softer strata corresponding to those of sandown bay hurst castle bank progressive motion of sea beaches although the loose pebbles and grains of sand composing any given line of sea beach are carried sometimes one way sometimes another they have nevertheless an ultimate motion in one particular direction their progress for example on the south coast of england is from west to east which is owing partly to the action of the waves driven eastwards by the prevailing wind and partly to the current or the motion of the general body of water caused by the tides and winds the force of the waves gives motion to pebbles which the velocity of the currents alone would be unable to carry forwards but as the pebbles are finally reduced to sand or mud by continual attrition they are brought within the influence of a current and this cause must determine the course which the main body of matter derived from wasting cliffs will eventually take it appears from the observations of mr palmer and others that if a pier or groin be erected anywhere on our southern or southeastern coast to stop the progress of the beach a heap of shingle soon collects on the western side of such artificial barriers the pebbles continue to accumulate till they rise as high as the pier or groin after which they pour over in great numbers during heavy gales the western entrance of the channel called the solent is crossed for more than two-thirds of its width by the shingle bank of hurst castle which is about two miles long seventy yards broad and twelve feet high presenting an inclined plane to the west this singular bar consists of a bed of rounded chalk flints resting on a submarine argillaceous space the flints and a few other pebbles intermixed are derived from the waste of hordwell and other cliffs to the westward where tertiary strata capped with a covering of broken chalk flints from five to fifty feet thick are rapidly undermined in the great storm of november eighteen twenty four this bank of shingle was moved bodily forwards for forty yards towards the northeast and certain piles which served to mark the boundaries of two manors were found after the storm on the opposite side of the bar at the same time many acres of pasture land were covered by shingle on the farm of westover near lymington but the bar was soon restored in its old position by pebbles drifted from the west and it appears from ancient maps that it has preserved the same general outline and position for centuries mr austin remarks that 
as a general rule it is only when high tides concur with a gale of wind that the sea reaches the base of cliffs so as to undermine them and throw down earth and stone but the waves are perpetually employed in abrading and fashioning the materials already strewed over the beach much of the gravel and shingle is always travelling up and down between high-water mark and a slight depth below the level of the lowest tides and occasionally the materials are swept away and carried into deeper water owing to these movements every portion of our southern coast may be seen at one time or other in the condition of bare rock yet other beds of sand and shingle soon collect and although composed of new materials invariably exhibit on the same spots precisely similar characters the cliffs between hurst shingle bar and christchurch are undermined continually the sea having often encroached for a series of years at the rate of a yard annually within the memory of persons now living it has been necessary thrice to remove the coast road farther inland the tradition therefore is probably true that the church of hordwell was once in the middle of that parish although now eighteen thirty very near the sea the promontory of christchurch head gives way slowly it is the only point between lymington and pool harbour in dorsetshire where any hard stony masses occur in the cliffs five layers of large ferruginous concretions somewhat like the septaria of the london clay have occasioned a resistance at this point to which we may ascribe this headland in the meantime the waves have cut deeply into the soft sands and loam of pool bay and after severe frosts great landslips take place which by degrees become enlarged into narrow ravines or chines as they are called with vertical sides one of these chines near boscombe has been deepened twenty feet within a few years at the head of each there is a spring the waters of which have been chiefly instrumental in producing these narrow excavations which are sometimes from one hundred to one hundred fifty feet deep isle of portland the peninsulas of purbeck and portland are continually wasting away in the latter the soft argillaceous substratum kimmeridge clay hastens the dilapidation of the superincumbent mass of limestone in sixteen fifty five the cliffs adjoining the principal quarries in portland gave way to the extent of one hundred yards and fell into the sea and in december seventeen thirty four a slide to the extent of one hundred fifty yards occurred on the east side of the isle by which several skeletons buried between slabs of stone were discovered but a much more memorable occurrence of this nature in seventeen ninety two occasioned probably by the undermining of the cliffs is thus described in hutchins history of dorsetshire early in the morning the road was observed to crack this continued increasing and before two o'clock the ground had sunk several feet and was in one continued motion 
but attended with no other noise than what was occasioned by the separation of the roots and brambles and now and then a falling rock at night it seemed to stop a little but soon moved again and before morning the ground from the top of the cliff to the waterside had sunk in some places fifty feet perpendicular the extent of ground that moved was about a mile and a quarter from north to south and six hundred yards from east to west formation of the chessel bank portland is connected with the mainland by the chessel bank a ridge of shingle about seventeen miles in length and in most places nearly a quarter of a mile in breadth the pebbles forming this immense barrier are chiefly siliceous all loosely thrown together and rising to the height of from twenty to thirty feet above the ordinary high-water mark and at the southeastern end which is nearest the isle of portland where the pebbles are largest forty feet the fundamental rocks whereon the shingle rests are found at the depth of a few yards only below the level of the sea the formation of that part of the bar which attaches portland to the mainland may have been due to an original shoal or reef or to the set of the tides in the narrow channel by which the course of the pebbles which are always coming from the west has been arrested it is a singular fact that throughout the chessel bank the pebbles increase gradually in size as we proceed southeastward or as we go farther from the quarter which supplied them had the case been reversed we should naturally have attributed the circumstance to the constant wearing down of the pebbles by friction as they are rolled along a beach seventeen miles in length but the true explanation of the phenomenon is doubtless this the tidal current runs strongest from west to east and its power is greater in the more open channel or farther from the land in other words its force increases southwards and as the direction of the bank is from northwest to southeast the size of the masses coming from the westward and thrown ashore must always be largest where the motion of the water is most violent colonel reed states that all calcareous stones rolled along from the west are soon ground into sand and in this form they pass round portland island the storm of eighteen twenty four burst over the chessel bank with great fury and the village of chesselton built upon its southern extremity was overwhelmed with many of the inhabitants the same storm carried away part of the breakwater at plymouth and huge masses of rock from two to five tons in weight were lifted from the bottom of the weather side and rolled fairly to the top of the pile one block of limestone weighing seven tons was washed round the western extremity of the breakwater and carried one hundred fifty feet the propelling power is derived in these cases from the breaking of the waves which run fastest in shallow water and for a short space far exceed the most rapid currents in swiftness it was in the same month and also during a spring tide 
that a great flood is mentioned on the coasts of england in the year one thousand ninety nine florence of worcester says on the third day of the nones of november one thousand ninety nine the sea came out upon the shore and buried towns and men very many and oxen and sheep innumerable we also read in the saxon chronicle for the year one thousand ninety nine this year eke on st martin's mass day the eleventh of november sprung up so much of the sea flood and so mickle harm did as no man minded that it ever afore did and there was the ilk day a new moon south of the bill or southern point of portland is a remarkable shoal in the channel at the depth of seven fathoms called the shambles consisting entirely of rolled and broken shells of purpura lapilus mytilus edulis and other species now living this mass of light materials is always in motion varying in height from day to day and yet the shoals remains constant end of chapter nineteen section four